what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Foot Candle Films. Today we've got an exciting episode. Chris, yes. my main man. I'm here. Partner in crime. Yes. How are you doing? Doing really well. Okay. Excited to talk about some movies today. Yeah, we're kind of we're in the thick of the summer movies right now, man. Yes. It's like every time we get together, there's probably going to be some big budget spectacle movie to talk about it seems like now and today's episode is no exception we're going to be That's doing true. two reviews uh one on the big scale of things that's going to be jj abrams star trek into darkness and then on the other side of things we're going to be looking at uh the little film called mud starring matthew mcconaughey following that we've got some movie news and we're going to cap off the show with our uh recommendations of something you can find online something you ought to check out and watch that we want to recommend for you so we're going to do all that over the course of this show. Uh, we hope you guys are ready for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Before I continue, just a reminder, we are on the mesh.tv network. That is the mesh.tv is where you can find not only this show, but all the other shows on the mesh network. You can go back in time, listen to all the other back episodes, everything we've ever done. Listen to every other movie review. Again, it's a fun filled weekend. If you just queue up all those episodes, <laughs> listen to them in a row. We'll help you pass the time very easily, I promise. Let's go right into our first review, which is the film Star Trek Into Darkness. Engage. There's greatness in you. But there's not an ounce of humility. You think that you can't make mistakes, but there's going to come a moment when you realize you're wrong about that. yourself and everyone under your command killed you think you're safe you are not is there anything you would not do for your family alan i've i've stated here on the show i'm pretty much an unabashed fan of science fiction movies yes you yeah, are. I'm on you record. even like prometheus a lot which i'd like to i'm just saying but you liked it a lot more than most people did right so. right yeah and i you know when i record my favorite film of last year so yeah mm-hmm. now admittedly i am more of a star wars person sure. yes. than a star trek nerd you know i'm, I'm kind of, of that. i kind of lean towards the star wars side but jj abrams of lost fame and all these other things he's done he directed the Star Trek franchise reboot back in 2009. And he, he made me take note of Star Trek. I was like, okay, maybe there's something here for me to like latch on to. Mm-hmm. In the Star Trek mythos, there's something called the Prime Directive. Yes. And it states that crew members of Starship shouldn't interfere with cultures in ways that could alter their history or alter kind of what's going on in their world. With Abrams again taking on this franchise with the Star Trek sequel, Star Trek Into Darkness, which is a hideous title. Yes, it is. um, Which details the Enterprise crew tracking down a deadly enemy. Do you feel Abrams has violated the film lover's prime directive by mucking up a revitalization of the franchise? Or do you think he should receive a Federation accommodation for his efforts? (laughs) Um, I'm going to err more towards the accommodation. Okay. 
because I'm a fan of the series. Okay. I, I was not a Star Trek guy as okay. well growing up. I, I was definitely more in the Star Wars camp. Absolutely. Star Trek was one of those shows that I would catch it whenever reruns were on at times. I never got into the next generation. Just never. I actually liked the movies more than I ever did the TV show. Okay. I did like Wrath of Khan, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Uh, I liked, I even liked up until the whale one, the one where they came back to earth and did the whole the voyage the home. Yeah, that's it. Voyage home. <laughs> I believe that was number four. Yes. So I liked the films in general. I lost interest after probably number four. Okay. Just didn't really see much of an interest in them. I think the series probably waned on much longer than it should have on the film side of things. It definitely needed the kind of reboot that I think they got three or four years ago uh, when the first Star Trek, new Star Trek movie came out. Gotcha. So I'm a fan of that process. I think it worked over a while well. I'm not going to say that first film was perfect. There were some flaws with it, but man, making it a good, just exciting, engaging, fun to watch film. Yeah, it certainly was there with that. Um, and I'm going to say the second one still continues on that path. I was generally okay with everything I saw in this film. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Yep, there's some plot holes. Yes, there's a few little notes here and there we can get into in a minute that I didn't care for. <laughs> but overall, as I walk out of the theater, I had a good time. It was money well spent. It was enjoyable. I still like these characters, the re- replaced characters they have. And I'm okay, even from a, me being a very continuity-type person, I don't like going back and mucking with film history. But the way they set it up in the last film, where this is almost an alternate reality for Star Trek, I'm okay with what they're doing. I think they can have some fun and diverge from what we normally know as Star Trek. And I'm totally, uh, uh, totally forgiving on that. So, yes... I had a great time with the film. That was a lot of fun. What did you think? Um, I, you know, some are blockbusters. They are mm-hmm. what they are, um, and that's why the first one, the first Star Trek film, really took me by surprise because I expected it just to be. Even though I respected Abrams, I expected it to be a piece of kind of garbage, like right. a Transformers movie, and it took me by surprise because there was a lot more there. Sure. This film, I mean, it is a sequel, mm-hmm. so you kind of come down off the high of the first original movie. I'm worried about where the series is going. Well, I've got some thoughts on um, that, but sure. But I, I enjoyed the movie. I mean, it's yeah. it's a good summer blockbuster movie and probably better than a lot of offerings out there as yes. far as blockbusters go. It's not a Transformers movie. I don't mean to oh, say no, that no, it no. is. It's not even not um, anywhere in that, that category. But I'm going to... I'm going to try to dance around certain things sure. just uh, for the benefit of those who haven't seen the film. Because there are a lot of spoilers. There, there are. There are a lot of things that go and on And that's actually, there's a difference between spoilers and plot twists. The plot twists and stuff, I don't have a problem with. I think those were very inventive. But the spoilers were kind of too self-referential to things that are in the direct past of this franchise. Yes. And to some extent, that's okay, but then it's like you can't come up with any new material on your own or something. And it's, it's without spoiling anything, I, it's hard for me to really explain that anymore. Well, but let, let, that's, let, that's, where my, that's where my complaint came. Sure. I was kind of like, okay, I got you, but you're kind of – you're riffing too much instead of just making an interesting story on your own. And that was probably one of my bigger hangups too. I agree with you on that. I, I – just let's kind of recap the, the general sure. plot. Yeah, I didn't go into too much detail here. You've got your typical, the, the, the Star Trek crew who assembled in the first reboot movie are now together. They've been a crew, we assume, for a while. Um, Spock and Kirk, played by Chris Pike and Zachary Quinto. Yes. Uh, those two seems like they've become friends now. So by the beginning of this movie where they were 
somewhat adversarial and just starting to come to respect each other at the end of the first film. They seem to have a good friendship now. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, captain and, and, and a science officer, I believe, on on the Enterprise. And Kirk's getting into some trouble. He's getting reprimanded, whatnot. <laughs> Basically, what's coming down is is he's taken off as captain of the Enterprise due to some uh, hijinks he 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 uh, he went through. But in the process of that, a new enemy arises, someone that has ties to the the uh, Starfleet. Academy or whatever Federation, Federation yeah, there you go. stuff. He's connected. We don't really know much about him. He's kind of a mystery. The mystery does get solved later on in the film, which is one of those spoilers and things that we're not going to talk about who exactly he is. But he is a very dangerous adversary, and basically Kirk and his crew are thrown back into the mix to try to go hunt him down, find him, and basically ext- extract some re- uh, revenge on something all the damage he created. And that leads to several other plot twists that, you know, we're not going to spoil, but it does give you a lot of twists and turns during the path as well. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, yes. plays the adversary, the adversary, the enemy, <laughs> yes, who has a name for the first half of the film, but then his name changes later on in the latter half of the film. John so, Harrison. John Harrison. There you go. That's the name we're going to refer we're to. We're going to latch on to. So he plays John Harrison, the, the bad guy in the film. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and say... I don't know if you remember uh, Eric Bana as the bad guy in the previous Star Trek movie. There, you kind of squinted your face because, yeah, he didn't make He's a whole kind of lot vague, of impression. Right, yeah. right. I'll tell you what, this guy, Benedict Cumberbatch, I love him. I can oh, watch him all day long. He absolutely. Is, he plays the villain role extremely well I, in this film. I could see some people, I, I thought, I'll say off the bat, two positives that I feel like are my highest praises for the movie. Mm-hmm. The acting from Benedict Cumberbatch as John Harrison and then Zachary Quinto as Spock. Yes, he was good. They single-handedly saved the movie for True. me. Um, and if it I wasn't could, for those performances, I'm going to throw, throw Chris Pike in there with, with Kirk. I'll throw Pine, Chris Pine. I think Pike okay. is the character oh, of the Pine. other. But Pike. Chris Pine, Pine I'll him. throw him under the bus. Really? I thought he was horrible. You really? Yes. Can't stand him. Can't oh. stand him. Is that more him. of a personal thing? You just don't like the guy? Or is it, you know... Well, and maybe he's... The thing that I can't stand on him is how he's choosing to interpret the character of Kirk. But even though the original Kirk... You know, the, the Kirk we knew from the 70s, the TV yeah. show and everything... Maybe he was a womanizer, or maybe, but it wasn't so like in your face. Oh, I don't know. I think it was. Well, see, and maybe I don't remember because I was watching yeah, it as a no, little I kid. Think, I think, I think, uh, I think, oh, yeah, the uh, William Shatner Kirk was a scoundrel. I mean, he was shacking up with anybody he could any, any week. <laughs> and I just, I think, I think Chris Pine did it right. I really still love what I like his dynamic with, with Spock. I like his dynamic with the rest of the crew members. I think. I think he is definitely a more modern James T. Kirk that I think more people can relate to than looking back on Shatner's and, performance in and, the 60s. And maybe I need to go back and review yeah. to see what he's trying to riff on. But something about it, I, I don't know. I just okay. don't I don't care for him. But um, Zachary Quinto, Spock, I, I really – those yeah. two, I really – and I could see how some people could say – Benedict Cumberbatch, what I know him from is when he was Sherlock yes, for the BBC, the BBC series. Sherlock, which is excellent, by the way. Which is, which is. And you could say that basically he's Sherlock as a bad guy True. <laughs> in this because of how the character of Harrison is very calculating and methodical. Yes. But I don't care. It works. Yeah, it or at great. least it worked for me. And yes. so I thought it was a real strong, strong um, point of the film. Okay. But so, you know, overall it worked, but I have misgivings. I'll also say that we've talked about referential mm. plot points. And um, I will say that one of the, with there again, without spoiling anything, one of my favorite, there's a point in the latter half of the film where there's a referential plot point 
but roles are switched. It references basically the second Some, Star Trek film. Yes. I'll say that. There was a, a key scene in the star, second Star Trek film that is basically, yeah, it's replicated here, but with reversed roles. And I thought that was genius. Really? That, uh, yeah, I, I actually really liked that. I, now, I thought it was just too on the nose. Well, the, um, man, this is hard. I know, it's tough. It, it, I, I appreciated it until the conclusion of that oh, scene where saying. someone yells. Someone that said something. threw it in the gutter. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. That was almost just, <laughs> let us throw this that in. Was too That's the it. fanboy fiction part of it. Yes. And that was a little much. Maybe that was probably my problem with the scene. I think I was okay with it. Yeah, it was, well. it was it was hinting at things. And yeah. then at the end, it basically like winked so big, it took me out of the film. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So. We're definitely referencing this scene in the other film. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I thought that was a little much, although I mean, I still, it was funny. I, I chuckled when it happened, but it was a bit much. The other thing I've got a little bit of a problem with the film, and I guess I can't really blame the film itself, but it's more of the film series right now. These, these okay. two films. I feel like we missed a whole gap of development between the previous film and this one. Hmm. I almost feel like at the end of the first film, Spock, Kirk, this team just finally came together. Okay? They're really like Kirk just gets to sit down. But as far as their inner workings together, you feel like. And then now in the second film, it's like they've been a crew for I don't know how long. And Spock and Kirk are friends and buddy-buddy. And I just felt like, man, there was a whole development of this team gelling (laughs) and really getting to be friends that we totally missed. Okay. And I feel like that just took a huge leap forward. And now with the end of the second film you were asking about where this film saga is going to go. It's basically like they set it up to where the, at the end of this film is now the beginning of what the old sixties TV show was where hmm. they are now embarking on their five year space mission. I see. I kind of feel like, well, why did we have to go through two movies kind of here on earth that are not really true star Trek movies. They were more science fiction action movies, but not really that exploration of distant planets and, and civilizations. I can understand having one film, where you set up that that process, but to have two films before you even get them out into space, I thought was just a little odd. It didn't quite match the true Star Trek vision. I'm okay with it. It was a fun film on its own, but I do look at it in that whole series and say, you know, it just seems odd. It just seems like we took a big jump and now we're finally throwing them out into what you'd see as Star Trek. And it was just, it was odd. It was a little strange. Yeah, and I I, I agree with that. I'm curious to think you you sound like overall you're pretty high on that high on the acting yeah i was okay i I, I did like the acting um peter weller plays the overall head guy for starfleet uh federation or something sure he's a big wig he's a big guy right he's got an interesting part which i thought he played pretty pretty fun um alice eve plays his daughter which she didn't really do anything for the film that was uh carol i'm gonna draw a blank on the last name but Basically, another throwback character to the original Star Trek movie series. Sure. Um, overall, I thought it was good. I thought Sulu and Chekhov are guys that just didn't have a whole lot to do. Oh, man. A lot of time with it. Chekhov and the accent still bugs me a little oh, bit. I, okay. You know, Pine, I don't like him in Kirk, but at least he has a lot to do. The others, Sulu, Chekhov, Scotty, yeah. and Bones, they're so minor. Yeah. They're kind of irritating. I wish he wouldn't give them any dialogue. I wish they wouldn't have anything to do because they're so like, their only purpose is comedic relief. And it yeah. the, the comedic relief doesn't work for me. Man, uh, well, Chekhov Scotty is horrible. And it's not, I don't feel like it's Simon Pegg's fault because I like him no, as an actor. I, th- I agree with, I think with Scotty and with Chekhov and, uh, you know, Anton is he Anton Yelchin or yes, yeah, he plays. Chekhov. He's a good actor, 
But I think they're trying so hard to say he has to have the funny accent Gosh. that he can joke about. And it just it got too much. And I, I agree. agree. This film was all about Kirk, Spock, and John Harrison. Which that, that's, that's fine. Let, fine. It, let it be about then that. don't try to weave in the other characters and give them something to do when it's just ex- extraneous just, and doesn't make any sense. Yeah. yeah. Just Overall, I enjoyed the film. I, I didn't put a whole lot of brain power into it. I mean, it, just, <laughs> it was a fun, enjoyable film. I thought it was exciting. I thought it had some good action scenes. Here's the one thing I will leave our conversation with, though, Chris, unless okay. you've got anything else to add. J.J. Abrams, obviously, is taking over the Star Wars saga. Correct. Now, we discussed that in one of our little we did. side. One of the big questions that came out of this film is, how confident do I feel with him doing Star Wars, having seen two of his Star Trek movies? And my answer is very confident, and I'll tell you why. Star Wars has always been more about the thrill and the saga and the action and drama where Star Trek was more exploration and true sci-fi ideas and all that. I think these two Star Trek movies have been better Star Wars movies Hmm. than they've been Star Trek movies for what it's worth. The action scenes, I think beat the pants out of just about any action scene in the prequel movies that we saw for Star Wars. Lightsaber Uh, duel with Darth Maul? Well, maybe save that one. (laughs) Um, The CGI is just so much more realistic in these Star Trek films than it was in the prequels. Sure. You know, if he applies a lot of the same formula in characterization and drama, humor and all that, that he's applied to these two films, I think Star Wars is going to be fine. I I would agree. I think that, yeah, for all the reasons you said, I think the action sequences are what Star Wars movies more lean to. They don't try to do big ideas. No, no. It's very much Pulp Fiction type of idea. And, um, and plus two, I'll say this, uh, you know, J.J. Abrams has gone on record even before he did the first Star Trek movie that he was definitely more of a Star Wars fan himself. Interesting. He wasn't much of a Star Trek fan. Interesting. The fact that he's able to pull off two entertaining Star Trek movies gives me a lot of hope that if he's putting his energy into something he truly is a fan of and passionate about, we could have a really good movie in a couple of years. So, Agreed. Very exciting. So that Star Trek Into Darkness is definitely still playing everywhere by the time you listen to this. Big movie just came out last weekend, so we'll be around for a while. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Feel free to send in any thoughts, comments, or ideas. You can send them in by email to info at themesh.tv. You can go and post up on the Mesh's Facebook page or go to our Film Society website and post on this review uh, or on this podcast episode that we post up there. Also, Letterboxd is another service. I know we've mentioned a couple We're times. We're both on there. Chris and I are both on Letterboxd. That is Letterboxd without the E at the end. So it's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D.com. It's a free service. Go online. You can search for me or Chris. Follow us. Are you just our, You're just Alan Jackson all? I believe so. Together. Yeah. Okay. And I'm just Chris Alan Jackson, Fry. you'll find us. And, uh, you know, we will definitely do star ratings on films. Sometimes we'll post up a little write-up review as well, but we'd love to hear your comments. Feel free to post those as well. Let's move on to our second review since we're now kind of in the review frame of mind here. Sure. Let's change gears completely. And let's go talk about the film Mud. You know that guy? I've never seen him before. What'd you say, boys? I'm waiting on my girlfriend. I just... Can't spend the rest of my life running away with him. She don't care about nobody but herself. Are you stuck off in that island? Because of her. You never said your name. Mud. You can call me Mud. You boys need to watch yourself. What Mud's into is something you don't want to be involved in. So, Chris, a few years ago, right, maybe two, two and a half years ago, at our film society, we screened the film Take Shelter. 
Correct. This was Jeff Nichols' film. It was not his first film. I think uh, Shotgun Stories might have been his first one. Right. Uh, Take Shelter started Michael Shannon, Michael Shannon and Jessica Chastain. Yes. Uh, about a man who was having visions about a catastrophic storm coming and wiping out, you know, the town, himself, family, just kind of going a little overboard with his premonitions and concerns about this happening to the point where he built an underground shelter protecting himself from this storm and was preaching to all of his townspeople about the storm coming. It was a really dramatic film. You and I both really liked it. I think we had it pretty high at the end of the year list of films that we liked that we'd seen that year. Yes. Um, Michael Shannon's performance was through the roof great. Jessica Chastain, that was one of her first roles where she was starting to get noticed, Mm -hmm. was really good as well. Had a nice, interesting, ambiguous ending that I think worked well for it as well. So overall, we really liked that film. Agreed. So we've been very eager to see his follow-up film, Mud. Which, starring Michael uh, Matthew McConaughey, uh, also has uh, Renee Witherspoon in a smaller role. A uh, few other great actors in there mixed in, too. And a couple of child actors, which is always an interesting thing to evaluate in a film, is how well child, child actors do. Especially in this film, where you've got to carry so much of the film by these kids. Right. But this is a film that was supposed to come out earlier. And I think it's gotten pushed back a little bit, which is normally a red flag for a film. <laughs> so, my question is, should this film... Come, have come out sooner did you want to see this movie earlier or should they put it back in the oven a little bit and let it bake a little longer well i uh, i i think they probably should have waited until november maybe to put this movie out because i think the performances would have been noticed for oscars uh, okay. whereas so you're saying it's a good thing I, I, I think it would have been a good thing if they would have waited longer like yeah. i think releasing it now in the summer i'm afraid it's going to get buried and people aren't going to remember it when it comes True. Oscar time. So I'm not really sure why they dumped it unless Coming they think April, it, May was kind of an odd time for this film. Yeah. So I'm not really sure, you know why they did it, but hopefully maybe people will see it because showings of Iron Man and Star Trek will be sold out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really liked this film a lot. Um, I think it's one of my favorite things Matthew McConaughey has done in a long time. And the child performances that you mentioned, specifically the one Ty Sheridan who plays mm-hmm. Ellis, he was really good. Now, wasn't he in Tree of Life? Or was the other kid? One of those two were in, were in Tree of Life, oh, I thought. they might be, and I don't know which one. Oh, where's our intern? I know. Um, yeah, the, the other... Order, we need a new intern. The kid, the other guy who played Neckbone wasn't as impressed with him, but um, Ty Sheridan, who played Ellis, I thought he was really good. And like you say, he has to carry a lot of the film. And acting, acting overall, there were, you know, Reese Witherspoon, Matthew McConaughey, Sam Shepard... Like you said, Michael Shannon, he's also in this when he was in uh, Take Shelter. Just all the performances I thought were really, really strong. And there were the lead characters of, you know, Mud and this kid, Ellis. But the mom and dad, Ellis's mom and dad, had a lot of screen time as well. And their relationship was just as important to kind of follow and wonder about as the relationship between Ellis and Mud. So I was, I don't know, I was really taken with the film, had a strong response to it, and think it was well worth seeing. What, what's your uh, general yeah, Well, thoughts? by the way, Ty, uh, Ty Sheridan played Steve, okay. the younger kid, in the film Tree of Life. Okay, so he so was in Tree of Life. He was in okay. Tree of Life. He's only been in two films, Tree of Life and Mud. So oh, he's wow. adding two for two in our books. Wow, okay. Um, yeah, no, I love this film. I thought it was great. I, uh... Honestly, I probably went in with a little lower expectations because even though I really liked Take Shelter, nothing about what I saw in the preview really got me too interested about this. And Matthew mm. McConaughey, I'm kind of hot and cold on. I can understand um, that. We talked about him in Bernie, and I thought he was really good in Bernie. I thought he was really good in Bernie. And I have not seen Magic Mike, which I understand he's also very good in. 
But this film, man, he was really, really strong in this performance. Basically, just as a quick plot summary, you know, you've got two kids who, um, and I'm going to get into the bigger topic of what I think this film's really dealing with because I think it's it's an interesting film from this standpoint. Okay, two kids who are both kind of dealing with different situations in their life. One of the kids and. Um, is basically being raised by his uncle. Mm-hmm. You, you know, not a great lifestyle, but he's kind of left to go do his own thing. He doesn't seem to really have any responsibility or supervision sure. ever. This uh, is neckbone. Yeah, neckbone. And then you've got his friend, who's our main character, who is going. Parents are going through a, a divorce at the time. Mm-hmm. He's also pining for a young girl at school and and having some some difficulties with that to deal with. They basically go off adventuring. They find this boat suspended up in the trees. They decide they're going to claim the boat for themselves and they come to find out that the boat's already been claimed by Mr. Mudd, um, <laughs> played by Matthew McConaughey, someone who's living on this island, very mysterious. We don't know a whole lot about him. He speaks in a lot of riddles and stories and is almost more of a folklore to, a feel to him as opposed to anything real. Sure. And so the two kids become enamored, at least Ellis does, becomes enamored by him. And his interactions with Mud kind of helped drive some of his interactions back on the mainland with family and everything else. Right. Um, Reese Witherspoon plays supposedly Mud's girlfriend or ex-girlfriend. Juniper. Yeah, Juniper, which there's a little questions about their relationship and what's going on there as well. And a lot of that plays out through the film. I loved what I probably love most about this film, though, Chris, is that I think it's marketed completely wrong. I've seen the trailer. I actually watched the trailer for it after I saw the film. Really? Okay. And the trailer plays it up as this mysterious thriller about who is mm. this man on this uh, island. Yeah. And there's gunfire and tense moments and screaming. That's so not what this film is about. This is a film, honestly, about a kid at a very, very tender age, which Ellis is, having to come to grips with, grips with the fact that love and relationships around him just nobody seeming to get it right and it's frustrating him you know he he's the hopeless romantic whether he wants to admit it or not he wants his parents to stay together but they're not he wants this girl from his school to to fall in love with him because of how good a person he is and she's not and mm-hmm. she's disappointing him his parents are disappointing him he finds someone in mud that he thinks is the true hopeless romantic that he's like that's the vision of a man who knows what love is and is willing to fight for love and then he he kind of gets let down on some areas with that too. So he's, he's a kid that's looking for that perfect presence of love in his life and he's not finding it and it's frustrating him to no end. And I think his performance toward the end of the film, when he's kind of come to this realization that everybody's kind of crapping on him right now in the love department, <laughs> right? His performance when he just is really fed up with all that, I thought was really good. I agree. And, uh, to me, it was a hopeful film at the end. I think at the end you kind of felt like, you know, some people were learning some lessons and I think it was a good moral story at the end about why we need love in our life and why it's important to honor it and preserve it and try to treasure it. And too many people don't. And, um, I don't know. It just, the move, the film really moved me. I thought it was really, really strong. So I agree. And I think what struck me, I hadn't seen the preview, but I think I just heard a plot synopsis. And to me, it sounded like, uh, Jeff Nichols was trying to basically do kind of a update to Stand By Me. And bit, I mean, it, that's what you're saying. It was like a coming of age story with yeah. two boys finding this thing. And, you know, it's just like instead of a dead body, it was a boat. And then it was like, you know, they were right. going to somehow grow. And But this film was so much more than that. And the way they were able to parallel events in Mud's life with events that were going on in Ellis's life, yes. like you've described. And the ingenuity in doing that, I just really appreciated. Plus... 
there was a lot more of things that would happen in the film where you would be told stories about snakes. And then things, nothing was there by chance. Everything kind of played back in to what ended up happening in the film. And I really appreciate how they would drop hints or have certain things pop up. And you'd be like, oh, okay. And you would just take them at face value. And they would come back in the end to really right, play right. a big bar- part yeah. in the resolution of the film. And I thought that was much more than, like you say, the trailer would give the film credit well, that's for. The thing. If, you want, if you saw the trailer and you think this is going to be some dark uh, thriller type of thing, no, it's not. I mean, yes, there's a, there's a gunfight and a, a fight that happens for five or ten minutes towards the end of the film. But this is not a, this is not a dark thriller film. This is a film that explores relationships and explores the idea of uh, how people perceive the relationships in their life and how it affects those around them. Um, no, this is just, it was a, it was a stupendous film. I got to give it up to Neckbone. Neckbone. <laughs> um, like Neckbone's a character. I don't think he developed one single bit during this film. And I, that was okay. Cause he's in an age where he's not really supposed to be developing yet. It's, he was almost the slightly less developed version of Ellis. It's almost like where I imagine Ellis maybe was a couple of years ago where it's all superficial. It's all how girls look and just want to go out and have fun. And I don't mm-hmm. want to get mixed up with this mud guy. He doesn't seem to know what he's doing. And I think Ellis needed Neckbone with him to remind him he's still a kid. You know, Ellis, right. even though he got these bigger ideas, these more adult ideas in his head, he's still a kid. And I think Neckbone's his grounding to say, we're still kids, man. Let's still go have fun and let's go goof around and not worry about stuff like this. I will say, um, and I don't know, I guess it would depend on the professionalism of the guy who played Neckbone, you know, the, the young kid. I guess because the other performances, Ellis specifically, was so outstanding that he he felt a little one note for yeah. me. And actually to the point where I was kind of irritated with the storyline because I felt like it was almost stereotyping. Everyone else had a lot of nuance to them. Mud mm-hmm. did. His parents, they're going through a divorce. His father drinks. Okay, right there you're like, okay, I know, I know how this story is going yeah. to play out. I know who's quote unquote going to be at fault for things going on. But it's a lot more complicated than that. The yeah. mom has a lot of complications oh, with her. Absolutely. The father, and there's a lot more to it, whereas Neckbone was just kind of like, no, he is pretty much the cut and paste you know, small Southern town kind of redneck boy going out and having fun. But, you know, it's, so that was a little bit of a frustration, but a very minor, minor one for me. I think because the rest of the movie was so unique, it kind of stood out a little more. I do think, and I don't have the names of the actor and actress that play uh, Ellis's mother and father here, but I, I, that was a story. I think you just even alluded to it where when I first saw it, I'm like, uh, okay. So, <laughs> uh, father who drinks a lot and doesn't seem to be very attentive to his wife and his wife's going to leave him. Great. Okay. So we have that typical stereotypical, stereotypical thing. But as you start listening more, you're like, no, there's a lot more there's going on here. More and stuff this is here. Actually more of a dynamic. And there's, there's a scene where some stuff has happened and Ellis is kind of was in danger and the three had to kind of come together and even no, even though you know these two, the mother and father aren't getting back together. Right. It was still that moment where even the father saying the simple words of "I love you" to his son, that could have been so cheesy and so overwrought with emotion. Nah, it was. And it wasn't. It was authentic. It, and was, it was earned, exactly and it was what yeah. You needed them to say at that point. And uh, man, even just talking about this movie is like a a, a, a wash of emotions here. So. Very, <laughs> yeah. Very Ray film. McKinnon was senior or he was yeah. the dad. And then Sarah Paulson was Mary Sarah Lee. Paulson. Yeah. Who she was on uh studio 60 on the sunset strip, I believe, oh, which was that okay. kind of behind the scenes Saturday night live type show. Sure. And she was in a more comedic role. So seeing her play a truly dramatic role, and there's no comedy in this role for her at all. 
uh, was she was she was good. She played that role nicely. I'm going to ask you about one. You know, overall, I think we're both very positive. We oh, seem yeah. to be a lot on the same page with this film. You know, I mentioned my one little quibble, maybe about Neckbone. Um, there's something else which I want to mention to you and see if it bothered you at all. With films, you know, you kind of take the way events happen. You're like, well, this is a movie. This isn't real life. And I was able to do that with the exception of one plot point that happened in the film when the boys see Juniper for the first time. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a little contrived how they happened to see her for the first time. Okay. Um, and I thought that was just a little bit too convenient. I felt like it could have been handled. It's convenient as far as them just turning around and looking and saying, oh, look, there, oh, she, th- is. there she is. Okay, yeah. I thought it was yeah, like, I really? <laughs> well, I, I was surprised well, that it was this clumsily handled. I realized they're going to, it's a small town and they maybe would recognize outsiders, you. but I thought I the know. same thing because at that point, Mud had only told them that the way he identified with her is that she had the tattoos on her wrist right. of, the, of the birds. Right. And I'm sorry, from that distance when they saw her in the parking lot, there's no way they could have seen the tattoos on her wrist. They and identified how, her because she had blonde hair and she looked cute or I'm she sorry. was attractive. Uh, and this like, may be really? a small town, but there's more than one attractive blonde girl in this town. I mean, you know, <laughs> right. we're pretty safe. I thought that was that. a pretty big leap, but, you know, yeah, I agree with it's you. a film. So. Yeah. They needed to get her them connected with her pretty quickly. And that was a little, I agree, that's probably the one moment that rang a little false. Right. Um, just seemed like more of a contrivance to get them together as opposed to something really uh, that authentically happened. So, sure. But overall, I mean, I've only seen two of Jeff Nichols, three films, but two for two, man. Um, actually, I like this one better than take shelter. I, um, I do too. I mm-hmm. think there was a lot more to it. Yeah. Maybe yep. take shelter was an interesting character study, but it was kind of a slow boil. Mm-hmm. And then the ending, which like you said, is very unique. This had a lot more going on throughout the film to more keep you engaged. From, yeah. More complete film with more going on. More characters to follow and find interest in. I think, uh, even though I still probably like, I don't know, I, I still liked Michael Shannon's performance in Take Shelter maybe a little bit better than Matthew McConaughey's here in Mud, oh. but they're really, really close. Um, they're well, both very strong performances. Since we're going to talk about Michael Shannon, you know, he was in this one oh, as yeah. well. He, did he have was, a small he was the Uncle, Uncle Galen. He was he, our Neckbones uncle. Neckbones uncle. Mm-hmm. When he. You know, he doesn't, he does not give him a lot, but he has this one part where he is talking to Ellis about Neckbone. That was a good scene. That was, that was awesome. And it just makes me really excited for the future of Michael Shan, which he's going to be in the Superman movie. So he's going to be General Zod in the uh, Man of Steel movie. Which if anything's Mm going to make me go see it, that'll be it. Um, I just, Michael Shannon, my wife saw Mud with me and she'd also seen Take, Take Shelter. And I said, you realize that guy who played Uncle Galen, he was in Take Shelter. She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah that was the totally lead guy. And she was like, whoa. Oh, <laughs> so that totally blew her mind. So yeah, he's I'm, he's awesome. Well, Mud, I don't think we can recommend this any highly, any more highly than we have. It's definitely one to check out. I was really encouraged, even here in Hickory, North Carolina, it showed at the main multiplex for a couple of weeks, a lot longer than I thought it would. So maybe it may be weeks. sticking around by Could the time be. you hear this. Maybe. But even so, if it goes to Netflix or DVD, you need to check this film out. Absolutely. Trust us on this. It's, it's a good one. It's a very <laughs> good one. Okay, we're going to take a quick little break. When we come back, we will move right into some movie news, some things happening in the movie film industry that we think uh, that I think Chris will find interesting. I always like to spring these on Chris and see what he <laughs> thinks. And then we're going to move on also to our recommendations for online viewing uh, for this episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. 
All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films. We just spent the first half of the show reviewing the films Mud and Star Trek Into Darkness. I still hate the title of that yeah. movie. I agree with you. Star Trek Can 2 would have been fine. I heard that. I think it was uh, JJ, no, Damon Lindelhoff who helped write right. Star Trek. He actually joked when they were throwing around titles. He suggested Star Trek Transformers 4. Because <laughs> he's like, it's available. Yeah, right. Sure. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, it would it makes about as much sense as into Star Trek darkness. Into Darkness. It's, just, it's I don't, tough to say, too. It just doesn't ring as a, as a movie title. But anyway. Yeah. Um, Chris, this is the part of the show where we always like to, I like to spring a little movie news on you and kind of get some feedback. We have not talked about these movie news items before, but they're ones I'm thinking either you got some opinions on or maybe some interest in, or just ones I find kind of curious myself. So let's jump right into it. Some movie news here. First off, um, are you a fan of the daily show with Jon Stewart? I, I am a fan, but I rarely ever get to watch it. Unfortunately. Okay. Well, I'm a huge fan of Jon Stewart. I think I, I, he's I like a him. genius. I I probably get more news from the daily show than I do like real news outlets, other news outlets, but he is going to take a hiatus from his show for 16 weeks. Wow. This summer to direct a film. Okay. And the film, this is really interesting. And if you ask me what film John Stewart was going to go out and direct and make, this is not the film I would have predicted. <laughs> okay. um, the film is going to be called Rosewater. Okay. And the film is a, a, a true bio, a story about a journalist that was detained in Iran for more than a hundred days and brutally interrogated in prison. Yeah, it doesn't um, sound like a John Stewart. It's based on a book, based on a book called And Then They Came For Me, which mm-hmm. was uh, one of his guests, uh, Mazar Bahari, which was a guest on The Daily Show maybe last year or two. Okay. And when they talked about the book, supposedly they started up kind of a friendship, and John really admired what the book was about and decided that that's what he wants to make a film about. Interesting. So he's going to be taking off for about four months from The Daily Show, um, having somebody else host it while he's gone, to go direct this film. That is being written by the actual writer of the book. Okay, so he's doing the screenplay. Yes, yes, okay. he is. So I just I thought that was really interesting. And then, uh, so I was already curious enough because I like John Stewart. And I'm, sure. I'm curious to see what he can do as a director. Right. He's never been much of an actor in movies. He's had a few small roles, but Bit nothing parts. really, really big. Um, so maybe behind the camera, who knows? Now here's where things got interesting. Guess who they just cast as of this week to be the lead in this film? Don't know. We talked about him in our last episode with the film No. As the star of the film, no. Oh, Gail Garcia. Gail Garcia Bernardo is going to be playing the journalist who gets detained in Iran. Wow. Yeah. That'll be good. So I mean, I we've totally got, think he has the chops to do it. Well, so we've got an interesting guy behind the camera with a very political slant to his, his own nature anyway. Directing his first film, which is a based on a, a uh, fact-based account of a, a political kind of story, international story going on. Starring, I think, one of our most interesting actors that you and I are kind of following and Gail Garcia Bernal. So very curious about that. It's supposed to be coming out in 2014. Okay. Um, hmm. seems, seems like it's Oscar bait, but we'll see. Yeah, it could be, but, but first time um, director, maybe not, but you know, uh, you never know. So, huh. um, interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, basically Bahari was interviewed on the daily show by John Stewart. Uh, they talked about the role that the show had in playing the imprisonment. So, 
it's um they became friendly. Stewart decided he wanted to adapt the 2011 book into a screenplay, and, and it's uh, going to be called the movie is going to be called Rosewater. Rosewater, because supposedly in the book, the journalist who's who's imprisoned, he doesn't know anything about his captors except that one of them smells like rosewater. That's kind <laughs> of what in the book he refers to as he knows that guard or that person imprisoning him as rosewater because that's what he that's the smell he gets. Okay. So, anyway, huh. I thought interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah, Probably something I'm sure we'll be talking about in the next year as well. Um, moving right along, Only God Forgives. This is the new Nicholas Winding Refn film starring uh, Ryan Gosling. Right. Hot boy at the moment, Ryan Gosling. Seems to be in just about every movie coming out right now. This nope. is his follow-up to Drive. Okay. So with Drive, we had Refn and Ryan Gosling together. Did you like Drive? Yes. You did? I did. I was disappointed in Drive, uh, probably because I'd heard people like you talk it up talk so much how before much I am. saw it. And I walked away just kind of saying, eh, it was okay. My favorite part was Albert Brooks as the yeah. the, the villain. Yeah, I, he's, a good, he's good in it. Ryan Gosling's a good actor, but I tell you, he just it seems like he just puts on that same face, that same blank expression in every role. And it's almost like, I'm an actor. I'm going to play dramatic. And by playing dramatic, I'm going to stare with this blank look at my face at the people I'm talking to and deliver my lines in a very monotone voice. That's just what I get from it. I'm just, I mean, you've seen Lars and the Real Girl? Oh, I did. And that's what's disappointing is that he was so good in that movie. But I feel like these last few years, all he's done are these same type of roles. I feel like his performance from Lars and the Real Girl to Drive to he was in half nelson as well right uh yes he yes was. Mm-hmm. i feel like those are two three totally different performances i didn't see him in blue valentine and i haven't seen him in uh beyond see, the i've Pines. seen him in blue valentine and that was pretty darn close to the character he was playing in drive in my mind uh, and then i've heard that a place beyond the pines it was kind of that same performance. Really? okay At least it looks like okay. it was in the trailers huh so i don't know I'm, I'm waiting for him to do something different you know i'm always a big fan of somebody trying to do something different oh, than and i missed gangster squad yeah, yeah. We I wasn't forced that. to go see that. But the trailers for that also made it look like <laughs> it was pretty much the same style acting. Okay. <laughs> well, what I think is interesting is that this was very highly anticipated because, I mean, you're putting together the actor and director from a film that a lot of people loved a couple oh, yeah. of years ago with Drive. Problem is this thing, I think, played at Cannes just recently. Okay. And got booed. Really? Uh, supposedly a lot of people saying it was a huge letdown, hmm. saying it's very boring. Let me tell you just the, the plot line Is here. it supposed to be really violent again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. It's supposed to be very violent. Julian, a drug smuggling, a drug smuggler thriving in Bangkok's criminal criminal underworld, sees his life get even more complicated when his mother compels him to find and kill whoever's responsible for his brother's recent death. Has to do with some kickboxing and the underworld of Thailand, hmm. a revenge plot to some degree. But everything I've read about the film is just it's slow, it's boring, it's just not a lot happening. With okay, it. so. Hmm. I'm actually more curious to see it now to see if it really is as bad as some of the critics are claiming it is. But okay. I always think it's interesting when you've got a director and actor that paired together and just knocked it out of the park to a lot of people's minds uh, with one film. And then they follow up their very next film together and it just completely bombs. And I don't know if it's unfair expectations or I don't know if it really is that bad. So, Well, Winding Refn, I think the only other movie I've seen of his other than Drive is um, Bronson. Yeah. And I really liked Bronson. And so then Drive I liked. So I guess I would go see the, uh, what's the name of it again? Only God Forgives. Only God Forgives. Yeah. I think I'd probably see it just because I'm interested to see what he does. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like maybe they don't need to work together again. <laughs> well, know. I don't know. Or maybe I could almost argue that with Drive, it bordered at times, and maybe this is why I didn't respond as well to it. It bordered on Tom on a little self-indulgence with style oh. and just, you know, 
look, we're going to do this cool scene or look, we're going to do this, this scene where we completely change and go violent where you're not expecting it. And sure. We're going to throw in some eighties pop music a couple <laughs> times and just kind of keep you on your toes and show how stylish we are. It bordered on that. It never got bad, but it just bordered on it to enough where it started to irritate me a few times. Okay. I get the impression from when I'm reading them. It sounds like this film might be going way to the extreme of let's go over stylish as opposed to plot story in anything interesting happening. Hmm. We'll see. Okay. Finally, the third story I was going to bring up, this is completely different <laughs> than anything in the other two stories we just talked about. Okay. Um, I like it when a good comedy can come together, but unfortunately comedies are very, very hard to make work for me. I mean, you're going to talk to me about hangover three. No, I'm not. I've heard, <laughs> I've heard it's horrible. Really? Uh, okay. I never saw part two. Cause I, I just haven't ever had any interest. I love the first one. I thought the first one was a good comedy. I liked the first one. It's one of the better comedies we've had in the last 10 years or so, but Everything I heard is that they just milked it dry with the second. And now this third one I hear is just even worse than the second one. Wow. No, this is one that, you know, it could be guilty of the exact same things. It's a film called We Are the Millers. And it stars Jason Sudeikis, who is a Saturday Night Live guy. Mm -hmm. He's been in a few films, um, Horrible Bosses, uh, a couple others I can't think of offhand. But I generally like him. I think he's really funny. He was in um, The Campaign. Yes, he was. He was a campaign manager for... uh, um, Will Ferrell's Will character, Ferrell. I believe. Mm-hmm. Well, this one stars Jason Sudeikis, Jennifer Aniston, hmm. um, Ed Helms, and Nick Offerman, which is uh, uh, Ron Swanson from yeah. Parks and Recreation, yeah, yeah, one yeah. of my favorite TV characters. The director of this is Rawson Marshall Thurber, who you probably don't recognize the name. His I last do not. film he did was Dodgeball back in oh. 2004. Okay. Like a long time ago. Yeah. As far as in comedy terms... Normally, if you've got a hot comedy director, he's cranking out something every two or three years. This guy hasn't done anything in almost nine years, hmm. which makes me think, was it because he was waiting for this project or <laughs> I don't know. Huh. Did you like Dodgeball? Do you think that was funny? <sighs> I mean, it was okay. You yeah. know, it was, it was okay. Okay. Well, this is the film. The, 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 the plot line here is Jason Sudeikis is a pot dealer who is charged with going to Mexico to, uh, to retrieve a huge shipment of marijuana for a very rich client who wants him to go get it. Okay. But for him to get into Mexico and to be able to squeak by everything, he assembles a fake family in a big RV to go in and stage as pretend like they're just a traveling family going into Mexico. And that's his cover for it. Okay. So his fake family includes Jennifer Aniston, who's a stripper who he's convinced to come along as his wife, wife. you know, who okay. play dresses and plays the part. And then you've got, um, Daughter, which I think maybe Emma Roberts is the daughter. And then you've got a hmm. uh, interesting, a name you just want to keep in mind, Will Poulter, who I'll be talking about during our recommendations. So keep that m- name in mind. Okay. Who plays the son. Okay. So anyway, they're not really daughter and son. That's just, he's pulled this family together. Gotcha. The trailers came out. I'll admit the trailers look really funny, but of course it's a trailer for a comedy And are you movie. worried that those are the only jokes oh, in the entire movie? I probably good. spend more time watching trailers for comedies and never actually seeing the actual film. <laughs> Because the trailers are normally the funniest parts. and I mean, enough. Identity Thief, Jason yeah. Bateman. Well, the, tra- the trailer wasn't even really that funny for that. <laughs> so that didn't really give me a lot of I, th- I thought it was somewhere, but I, I knew enough not to see the movie because it was indeed. So I just, I want a good comedy. That's all I, I want. Understand. I want a good, broad comedy. I thought The Hangover was fine years ago. Anchorman is still probably my most recent, just favorite comedy. And I'm hopeful that they don't screw it up with the sequel. The sequel, out soon. sure. But we need a good original comedy again. Something that's just laugh out loud funny and not something like Identity Thief where people who have seen it said it's really not good. But because it was probably one of the only broad comedies out there at the time, 
it made tons of box office money. Right. So they're going to make a sequel and it's going to suck even more. And, you know, <laughs> I just, I want a good original film comedy. So when I see an idea like this and I see a good trailer, I'm like, fingers crossed, please be good. And we'll wait to see when the reviews come out. But uh, uh, my understanding is it's supposed to be, it's patterned after a little bit after vacation. It's supposed to be kind oh. of that travel type of with a family, but this one's got the slant of them not really being a family. So. That was one of the first recommendations I did, I think. Was, was it vacation? vacation? Way back yeah. when. Yeah. yeah. All right, interesting. Well, a little synergy there. We're coming yeah. back around. So. Awesome. Anyway, uh, that's three films that I'm curious about. Uh, probably more curious about Rosewater than anything just because of the story behind it. Sure. Hopefully the We Are the Millers will give us a, a fun comedy for once. When's yeah. that due out? Is it this year or next year? We Are the Millers is coming out in August. So oh, it's actually okay. coming out really soon. By the time you're hearing this, it may be getting close to time for it to release. Only God Forgives is already out now in limited markets. Gotcha. And then uh, Rosewater won't be till late next year probably. Probably Oscar, Oscar time season. Next, next, next year. All right. Well, now we come to the last part of our show where we always like to cap off with a recommendation this is a film that hopefully you can hunt down online or rent or uh, stream on netflix or something else something you can go and find pretty easily and uh, be able to watch and something we think maybe that flew under the radar a little bit not one that got all the big bucks in when it was uh, released chris with that set up i'm anxious to hear as always <laughs> what your recommendation is for this episode I went on a bender on recommendations, I think, where all I was recommending were documentaries. So then I made a conscious decision last time. I was like, okay, I'm not going to do a documentary. I didn't. Yeah. I did, you know, Return to Oz. And the funny thing is this time, Are you I'm going to... you back to documentaries? No, oh. I'm going to recommend another family film. So it's like two oh. family films back to back, which That's is okay. kind of strange. Yeah. But I'm going to recommend A Monster in Paris. And it's an animated movie, mm. but it's from... France. It's from Paris. So it's actually a foreign animated movie, but it's all dubbed in English. And it's really good. And it was surprising me because, you know, it's available on iTunes for rent or purchase. And then it was available also, which is how I found it. My daughter picked it out from Redbox. And, it, mm. you know, red flag to me. I was like, okay, animated movie that and, I've and never. What's the name of it again? A Monster in Paris. A Monster in Paris. I've never heard of it. And it's a, newer, it's a newer release. It was said it was a new release in Redbox. Um, IMDb slates it as being a 2011 release. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it just now maybe got dubbed for. American audiences maybe and that's why it's in a new release for um, Redbox but anyways it was a red flag to me because I was like animated movie that I've never heard of I don't recognize any stars or you know that did voices for it I'm like yeah this is probably going to be horrendous Mm -hmm. and it was really good and the quality of the animation was you know like Pixar quality or Mm -hmm. you know Disney quality now is it a perfect movie do i rank it above like wally or something no but it's definitely worth a watch you know check it out a monster um, in paris That's a monster in paris yeah and it's 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 also cool because it centers on being around 1910 in paris when there was a flood so a lot of paris is underwater and that causes certain plot points to happen in the movie and basically what happens is a huge monster ends up attacking and kind of haunting a little bit of Paris and some of the other main characters in the movie find out who or find out what the monster's all about and what he's doing and without and I don't want to spoil anything but it's it's fun and there's some musical numbers in there that are not half bad which are mm-hmm. kind of surprising seeing and how it wasn't Disney involved or whatever so you know if you want a movie that's not out in the theaters you can get available to it's monster in Paris you know it's for a family film sure you know? right and that's I, I recommend it that's a good recommend. I mean, that's the kind of film we want to be recommending is people. Yeah. You know, I never even heard of that one. Right. So that's great. Well, this film, I know you've heard of because we actually watched it together. 
still going to recommend it because I guarantee a lot of the people listening probably never heard of it. I don't think it got any kind of real wide release anywhere here in the United States. The film's called Son of Rambo. Oh, that's a good one. Now, a lot of people hear Son of Rambo and they hear the plot and they think Rambo is going to be spelled R-O-R-A-M-B-O. <laughs> no, it's R-A-M-B-O-W. So Son of Rambo. But they are referencing Rambo, the first blood Sylvester Stallone action movies. So what we have here, this is a 2007 film set uh, in England. And it takes place over a summer. And what we have are two characters, two young boys. And I'm trying to remember their names here. Uh, we've got Will, who is Will. the oldest son of this. Uh, he's a family that's it's the Plymouth Brethren family. So there is a certain religion where they don't really interact with the outside uh, community and world. He's not exposed to TV, movies, and other things like that. A lot of pop culture stuff. But through school, he does become a friend with uh, Lee Carter. Lee Carter is played by Will Polson, who was okay. I mentioning, who's in that film We're the Millers now. Okay. Gotcha. He's much older and taller now in that film, but this was back when he was young. Lee Carter is the school terror. I mean, he's the one <laughs> getting in trouble all the time, but he also has a penchant for making movies. He takes a video camera and is making movies all the time, trying to put together things. And so Carter, Lee Carter exposes Will to Rambo First Blood, the film. And they both get inspired that they're going to make Son of Rambo, this idea of like this younger version of Rambo and all the adventures he goes through. <laughs> so that's going along through the film. But really what the film's dealing with is the fact that Will you know, is trying to fit in, but yet he's also having to face the pressures of his family and the expectations that are there. Um, Lee has got you know, kind of a troubled childhood as well that they're having to, to kind of deal through. So it really becomes more of a, a, a movie about friendship and about these two young kids just enjoying the summer together and kind of having these different experiences. And to me, it's just, it was a very heartwarming film. Mm -hmm. uh, I really had high expectations for it when I saw it. I'll admit when I first saw it, I was a little let down because I think my expectations were so high, but I watched it again a few months ago and you know, it's a really good film. I think people would enjoy it. This is the same person who made the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy oh. a few years before that, okay. which I never saw, okay. um, but I heard it was okay. Yeah, it was so good. Santa Rambo, Rambo, I think is a very good movie. It's heartwarming. It's fun. And I do think the thing I like about it the most is I love any film that's talking about the process of making films. Gotcha. So you've got two kids who are trying to rig up some of these elaborate action shots and some of the <laughs> links they go through to make some of these scenes. I think it's just a lot of fun. So it's fun to watch. And you do get to see the result of their film at the end, which is fun as well. So I just I, I really enjoyed this film. And that that's why one. you also like Super 8. Yeah. <laughs> I like the first half of Super 8 when they're actually making the films. I gotcha. uh, when it turns into a stupid monster movie. Oh, man. Don't get me started <laughs> on that one. Okay. No, this is so much better than gotcha. Super 8. Um, so, Son of Rambo in a monster in Paris. Mm -hmm. Son of Rambo, um, you could watch with the family. There are a, It's PG-13. There are some questionable words here and there in scenes, but nothing too bad. Um, it's still one that I think, you know... 10, 11, 12, 13 year old kids would probably enjoy and have fun with. So. Sure. Monster in Paris is PG, so okay. it's pretty safe. Good. Hey, we got two somewhat family friendly picks yeah. this week. I don't think we've ever done that before. Right. Two films that the whole family could actually watch good parts of. Sure. Okay. Well, I think that wraps it up for today, Chris. We uh, did the review for Star Trek Into Darkness, the review for Mud. Both are good films. I think Mud, we're absolutely recommending. Very highly. Star Trek, we both enjoyed. I probably enjoyed it a little bit more than you did. I think so. Fun action movie, but did have some issues, did have some, some reservations about it. 
a few movie news items we went through, and then our recommendations, Son of Rambo and A Monster in Paris. So with that, we're going to wrap up the show. Again, if you've got any thoughts, feedback for us, we'd love to hear from you. Info at themesh.tv is an email address where you can reach anybody on the Mesh Network to talk about any of our shows or episodes. Find us on uh, Facebook at The Mesh. If you look for The Mesh on Facebook, you should be able to find it there. You can go to the website at themesh.tv and you can comment on any of the episodes from there as well. And then Letterbox is a great place to find where Chris and I and see what movies we're watching and rating at the moment. And then finally, footkindle.org is the website of our film society where we show uh, an interesting film here in our area once a month at least. And we have some great discussions with our patrons about the film. And then we always come and try to review it afterwards here as well. So with all that going on, Chris, lots of ways for people to reach us here. Absolutely. What do you got planned for the Memorial Day weekend here? I, you know, this may be kind of a shock to our listeners, but I'm probably going to watch a lot of movies. You think so? <laughs> yeah. I got a couple lined up I'm going to watch too, so... Got a few to catch up on my Netflix queue right now. Gotcha. We'll see how that goes. All right. Well, Chris, thanks a lot, man. It's good seeing you as always. And we'll get together next time to talk some more movies. Take care. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. Whatever, if anybody's still sticking around and wants to listen right. to this, I'll spoil this film for you. I didn't care because you and I had talked about it. We may have talked about it on one of the episodes. I don't know if it was on mic or off mic about how he might be con. So I kind of knew that going in, but that, you know, and that whole the handling of that was fine. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a fun scene where he's basically given the the monologue in the the glass case, and he's just like, "My name is Khan," and all that. I'm like, "Cool, get it." Yeah, That's and awesome. I, there was a lot. It was just something about a lot of the other stuff. It was like it was just too referent. The whole nuclear, like, one was it radiation? I was fine with all that. Until it's just when he yelled, "Khan," I was like, "No, yeah, yeah. no, just, no, no." It's like, it, and honestly, I I told Brad afterwards, I'm like. I kind of had thought, and I thought it would have been a really daring thing to do, leave Kirk dead for the end of the Oh, day. that would have been... Well, okay, the only reason I would have minded that is because then if they would have done in the third movie, they would have brought him back. Just like, I was, yeah, I was that glad would have they, been really self-referential. I was glad they wrapped movie. everything up within that. And to use the triple, like they announced that early yeah. on, you're like, what's the triple doing there? But then to bring it back, I was like, that's still... That was, was okay. okay. It was fine. I was okay with it. But I did think when, I, when he died, I'm like... Oh, wow. They're totally going to do this. They're totally going to kill Captain Kirk instead of Spock. Which would have been fine because I hated Chris Pine anyway. <laughs> bring <laughs> so. him back at some point. I'm like, that's pretty cool. I'm okay yeah. with this. Yeah. I agree. The, 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 the shouting Khan's name. That was so bad. Because technically, even though Khan brought them into the situation that caused this to happen, it wasn't like Kirk going in to save him. So it was really Khan's fault, fault. as much. Right. Kirk shouted con when they were chasing each other through the cloud yeah 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 yeah. yeah. it was you know but i don't know it was it was a little much it was just oh, yeah. almost like the guys jj said 
oh, we got to do this because all the fanboys are going to freak out when I do it. And it was like, they just yeah, love it, it was so much. Kind of, and I think the fanboys are probably irritated. It was actually it. more comical to see him do it yeah. than it was like dramatic. So, right. And I thought the humor just, I, I, I don't know. I didn't have a problem with the humor. I, I thought it was fine. It wasn't as strong as it was in the first movie. Um, so I need to go back and see the first movie again. Yeah. I think. It, I, overall, this one, I did not enjoy quite as much as the first one. I still really enjoyed it. Right. <laughs> what I did like, though, is the, the twists and turns it took where, okay, Khan's bad guy. We yeah. find out he's Khan. Ooh, but now we're going to actually gonna try to work with Khan and actually take down the real bad guy. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Oh, that's good. This is great. And then it's like old spot comes back. That is unacceptable. That cameo was so really? bad. Tell me why. Okay, and old, the, okay, in the old fir- Spock comes back and advises New Spock on the Khan, nature of Khan. Khan is really a bad guy. Don't that trust was him. so awful. In the first film, it was like it was unexpected. It was neat to have a cameo or whatever. And I was like, okay, the fact that he like dials him up on the phone on the view screen is like, hey, hey, old Spock, I want to, I want to talk to you like and get some advice. Now. Like that's okay. that just totally that's such a cop out. Spock is supposed to be smart on his own and figure things. I think the only reason they did that was so they could then again have a cameo that the fanboys. Know, it, it was so awful. And then it's like sets up like, what's he going to do every time he needs advice? Just Call, dial a friend. Hey, Spock. I tell you what. Old Spock, if there was an doing? old version of God me that was like 30 years older or 40 years older than me has seen everything. I could I'd, call him up on speed dial and be like, hey, dude, it. what should I do about this? Because I'm kind of <laughs> stuck. And old me could like say, oh, yeah, don't do not do that. But dude. see, it has no reference because that also doesn't make any sense because how could he give him reference because it affected his timeline but not his timeline? Well, but, you know, he wasn't really advising him. He was basically saying, here's the deal with Khan as far as our experience was. Is he was our worst adversary? Yeah. Boom. That's it. He didn't say stay away from Khan. Watch out. Don't <laughs> don't get mixed up with him. He just said he was our worst adversary. Yeah. I so just, like New uh, Spock was just looking for some frame of reference because now this allegiance had changed with Khan. Where like he's bad guy and he's still bad, but yet we need him and he's willing to help us. So now how much can we trust Kirk him? Has gone off with him. How much can we trust him? Right. I think it was warranted. I think it was okay. I think Spock was smart to bring up old Spock. Oh anyway. man, I wish he could have figured it out on his own because that was just no. like. I thought that was so tacky to have the same cameo. But then to have Khan switch immediately once they've met a certain goal and to be bad again and all. I was totally on the ride with that. I really don't know where this is going to go, and I'm totally cool with that. So that was fun. Would you be – do you assume they're going to bring him back? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they – you know, yeah. To have him frozen at the end along with – 72 other ones. Right. I mean, basically, you've got 70-some potential cons floating out there right now. Right. So, oh, yeah. They've totally got that set up. Just like just like the Borg would have been on the new generation and all that. It's like it's an enemy you can keep going back to every once in a while. So. Right. Good. Yeah, I love cool. Mud. Oh, I did too. I did too. Um, Which well, I knew yeah. you did because I happened to look at the I, I, like, I, oh, I, I really am trying not to star rate them until after we talk about it. Right. Um, one question, though. Towards mm-hmm. the end... Uh, the uncle, Nick Bone's uncle, is doing his deep sea, or not deep sea. I think I know where this is going. Underwater. Yeah, it's, Mud, he's getting clams. Mud got shot. Right. We see Mud's body floating. And we see the uncle, when he goes underwater, he's searching around, we see the body pass in front of him. Well, above him, yeah. 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 We don't see him necessarily acknowledge it. Right. And we don't see him do anything about it. Right. But yet, next thing we know, Mud's friend... The older guy has rescued him or has brought him back to health on the boat. Well, the, I mean, that's a while, but that's the very right. end of the but movie. Yeah, that's but when yeah, we yeah. know something connected the dots. Right. Are we to understand that we think Neckbone's uncle saw him? 
No, I don't think so. Okay, you just think he was flirting above. I mean, just yeah, because um, Ellis states at one point, or Neckbone states to Ellis, you know, they never found Mud's body, and he's like, eh. Well, I know. I just I was trying to figure out. And it caused me to go back and think. It's like, okay, were they trying to imply though that Neckbone's uncle somehow found Mud? But then Neck, the uncle didn't have any connection to Mud whatsoever. There no, was he no didn't. No reason know. for him to take him and take him to the other guy. Uh uh-uh. like, Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't. So it's just more of a coincidence. I wouldn't think so. Yeah, and if anything, it's a cheap ploy to make us think Mud's really dead. Well, which and, I was happy that he ended up being alive because yeah, I was. I don't know, and it wasn't to me. It wasn't like. I really liked the Sam Shepard character mm-hmm. and the fact that he had a lot of dialogue with Ellis and he had that one thing where he sat him down. It's like, Mud's a screw up. Don't mm-hmm. hang around him. And then the fact that he was a sharpshooter comes back into play. Yeah. That was awesome. And yeah, I like great. freaking jumped out of my seat when that happened. I was like, yeah. whoa. Cause like who else is shooting? It was like, oh, it's him. Yeah. And the fact that he then is able to, you know, quote unquote, kind of rescue Mud and everything. And at the end, it's just kind of like he brings him up and he's like, look, we've made it. Here's well, the. But the question thing. for me is, you know, the uncle. Cool. The uncle's out there searching the river like this is after the whole shootout happened. I don't think it was even until like the next morning. It probably had to be days later. Oh, I thought it was that night. It's really? that same night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because he was ne- out searching in the river that night. And so we're supposed to assume that maybe as he's searching for trinkets and things that he can help recover and bring back to safety on the mainland, things that he's recovering – Here's mud floating. That's basically well, he, he, the he same looks thing for done. clams. He's a right. that's what he does for a living. So I think he's just down there because he rigged up that whole rig so he could do clamming at night. Sure, I think so. He's just down okay. there having, and it just happens to. All right. Yeah. So I think the that's two. The is, only thing I was just trying to wrestle with that right. was like, were they trying to imply some sort of connection? I mean, maybe the mud, but maybe. I, I couldn't. I couldn't understand why. Okay. So spoiler edition's done. <laughs> yes.